Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. And the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So just following on from what Gio said, um, I would like to quickly go over just one key detail that um, is brought up again in the start of chapter 47 and was brought up towards the end of chapter 46, which is the land of Goshen. Or Goshen, I think I was pronouncing it wrong. Anyways, um, so Joseph's family comes from, well, the Israelites, they come from Canaan and they're on their way to Egypt and Joseph pretty much asks, can we stay in the land of Goshen? He asks Pharaoh, can we stand in the land of Goshen? And I was reading something about why the land of Goshen? Like, why did he want them to dwell in the land of Goshen? Um, and more or less what it is, is that the land of Goshen was like a safe place for the Israelites to stay in, in order for them to stay away from all of the idol worshipping and the paganism in Egypt. And the way um, there was a priest on Upper Media, the way he put it was that going into, staying in Goshen was more like, a, like an incubator in order for Jacob, for God's plan for Jacob to come into fruition so essentially for the tribes of the tribes of Israel to develop and the 70 Israelites to <clears throat> develop into the millions and so Goshen was like a intermission going from Canaan into the north and the southern kingdoms and the 12 tribes and so on um, <clears throat> and so the way that applies to us today is that we are on earth the same way the Israelites were in Goshen so we are on earth as an incubator in order to get to heaven so it's almost like when you're traveling, you're constantly thinking about the final destination as opposed to thinking about, hey, I'm on the plane right now and you're getting comfortable, right? So the same way that you're not thinking about, hey, I'm on the plane and I'm comfortable here, I'm happy here, you're thinking about the final destination. That's the same way the Israelites were thinking about the final destination, which was what is God's plan at the end. And the same way that we should be now just be thinking about the kingdom of heaven at the end as opposed to thinking about, hey, I'm comfortable on earth and just living life the way everybody else is living, right? Um, and, you know, on a different note, um, the same way that God kept the Israelites away from the Egyptians, we should also be staying on earth and identifying still as Christians and identifying as, you know, the children of God as opposed to, you know, we're here on earth and we're the same as everybody else. Um, so let's quickly start reading chapter 47. Is there a spare microphone, Gio? I'm going to ask you to read. What do you want me to read? From the start of 47. Yeah. And the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and present them, presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. 
and if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Okay, so <clears throat> what we see here is that, as we just said, that um, Joseph has asked Pharaoh for his family to dwell in the land of Goshen, and Pharaoh has essentially said, you can stay in the land of Goshen, and whatever you need, I'll provide it to you, which raises a question, like, do you guys think that anybody at that time was able to just rock up to Pharaoh and be like, hey man, I was just actually looking it up earlier, the land of Goshen. Apparently the land of Goshen was the most valuable land in Egypt at the time. Like no one can just go up to Pharaoh and be like, hey bro, I want your most valuable land for all 70 of my family to live in. It doesn't make sense, right? Which sort of reiterates the common theme that we see in that Joseph imitates the Messiah or imitates Christ. And so the same way that Joseph... <clears throat> was in favor of Pharaoh and was able to provide essentially whatever he wanted to his family, we also have that same gift, that same advantage in that our relationship with Christ will allow us to essentially have almost whatever we want according to the will of God, of course. So the land of Goshen was used for God's will to be fulfilled and in that same way we can use Christ to fulfill God's will as well, to fulfill God's will through our services, through whatever we're going through, okay? Um, and on another note, Joseph is still, I think Jill was making the point earlier that um, when Joseph told his brothers that, you know, I'm Joseph, they sort of freaked out. Joseph is still providing to his family all of the wealth that they want, even though they essentially sold him or tried to kill him or, you know, put him through hell. He's still doing whatever they want. He's still asking Pharaoh, you know, like the top, top guy in the world at the time, like, hey man, can you please provide this to my family? Um, can we continue reading, please, from verse 7? Then Joseph brought in his father, Jacob, and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the, day, the days of the years of my um, life and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before, before Pharaoh. So <clears throat> there's two things that are happening here, right? Um, Pharaoh's asked Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. So we'll focus on those two things for now. Um, when Pharaoh asks Jacob, how old are you? He responds, the days of my years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Um, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. So just on that bit, few and evil have been the days of my life. If we backtrack a bit and think about the life of Jacob, we see that he escaped from his brother earlier on at the start of Genesis. He lived with his deceitful uncle. His children were foolish. His wife, Rachel, died at childbirth. His son, Reuben, slept with his concubine. His concubine's like a mistress. Um, his son, Joseph was sold and he was told that his son Joseph was killed. So throughout the entire life of Jacob, there's been so much disaster that's been happening to him and yet he's still there listening to God, listening to God when you know, God told him like, go to Egypt. He's still listening to God and he still has faith and in his mind, he's still thinking about the end goal which is, I'm here to serve God. Like, who cares about everything that I've been through? And I think that that's something that genuinely applies to all of our lives all the time. Everyone is always going through something. I was talking to one of my boys the other day and he said something to me. He said, whenever anyone asks me how I'm going and I say, hey, how are you going? I've noticed that everyone always has something that's 
You know, like no one's ever living a life that's 100%, which is very true. Whether it's work or at home or at school or whatever it is, everyone is always going through some sort of troubles. But just because we are going through those troubles, it doesn't mean that we forget about our end goal, which is to serve God and to fulfill God's will, right? And so Jacob is there in front of Pharaoh and he's telling him, you know, my the last 130 years have been a few years of, you know, few and evil have been the days of my life, but here I am still. And then post that, Pharaoh immediately essentially requests Jacob to bless him. And so I think at the time that whole idea of blessing someone essentially means like Pharaoh was on his knees in front of Jacob and Jacob was like hand on head and like prayed for him like the same way we ask a bishop to pray for us. And when you think about it, like Jacob's this guy that's almost blind, 130 years old. Pharaoh is probably a guy that's completely dripped out with gold and he's like, pray for me. Um, That tells us something. It tells us that Pharaoh sensed something in Jacob that Jacob didn't have to say. Jacob didn't have to tell Pharaoh, God speaks to me. Okay, he didn't have to tell him that, hey, I just saw God like a couple of days ago and he told me to come see you. Pharaoh felt it immediately. And I guess what that tells us is that we know that Pharaoh didn't believe in God at the time. Um, and so you wouldn't expect Pharaoh to ask someone. It's like, imagine an, like an atheist coming and asking you, hey, pray for me. Like it would never happen. Okay, but Pharaoh still sensed something in Jacob that, you know, he sensed a presence. He sensed God's presence, essentially. He sensed the Holy Spirit. Even though the Holy Spirit isn't introduced in the Old Testament, this is one of the things that show that the Holy Spirit was there the whole time. So the Pharaoh sensed that, and he asked Jacob to pray for him. Okay. Um, yeah, and so this is similar to, I guess, this theme of suffering and still fulfilling God's will is similar to what Joseph's going through as well, right? Joseph was thrown in the well. He was sold by his brothers, and now he's second in charge in Egypt. And so Joseph still, he went through that whole thing like Jacob did, all that suffering, but he still fulfilled God's service at the end of the day. He still fulfilled God's will, fulfilled God's plan, right? And so what Joseph has done essentially, what Jacob are doing, and the message that they're sending us is that sometimes there are sacrifices that we have to make in order to serve God. And so I think... There's a common theme in chapter 47, which is service. I know all of us are servants. All of us do services. And all of us struggle and <clears throat> we go through challenges in our services. But we have to remember that there are, there's always going to be trials and tribulations along the way. But that doesn't mean that the end goal isn't going to be present. Right? That the end goal isn't that we're going to fulfill God's will and make God happy. And I guess on a different note, um, it's important to note that Sometimes there are sacrifices that have to be made in order for God to show his hand or in order for God to give you that joy or fill that void of emptiness that, that we sometimes have. And sometimes we are offered a service from God the same way that Jacob was told by God, go to Egypt, and he listened. He could have easily said, nah, bro, I'm comfortable here. Like, I'm not going anywhere. But he still said, okay, I'm going to go. Um, and he went, and he saw that Joseph was alive and, you know, his, I guess his purpose was fulfilled. And in the same way, when we are asked to do a service, instead of us thinking, oh, nah, I've got this party, or no, nah, I'm going to stay home, or I'm going to finish work late at that night, I can't be stuffed, I can't be bothered. Making those small sacrifices or making those small sacrifices of comfort are what allows God to put his hand or show his hand in our life.
And so then <clears throat> it becomes a challenge of personal comfort versus God's will. Like, what do we choose? Do we choose to stay comfortable? Do we choose to continue living our life as normal and continually trying to find something that's going to fill that void that we have or continually trying to find something that's going to make us happy? You know, like you do one thing and then that's done. And then you're like, all right, what's next? And you find the next thing that makes you happy. And then that's done. You're like, all right, what's next? And you find the next thing. And then it's just an infinite loop. And there's never 100% fulfillment. But if we make just small sacrifices, and I'm not saying, I had this, I was having this discussion with one of the boys over the weekend. We're talking about this. Like, we're not saying sacrifice everything and live a miserable life. Sacrifice your entire life in order to do one service. But we're saying sacrifice small things that make you comfortable, like sacrifice some time, sacrifice a hangout, sacrifice something that's pleasurable to you or sacrifice whatever, just to do, just to go out of your way to serve God. And then by doing that, you'll see God's hand and you'll see God's joy and you'll sense God's presence in your life, which will fill that gap and make it worth it, right? I think the ultimate gift at the end of the day is to have God's presence with you at all times. And I think that's, you know, like, I wish it, we can all experience that, but once we do experience it, there's nothing else that can match that. Like, you guys see people that sacrifice their entire lives, like hermits. I was talking to a Winnie just then, and he was talking to me about a hermit that um, he, he was praying a mass, and there was a younger priest, and the younger priest dropped a shoddy in front of him, and then this hermit, like, clicked it at him. And then this hermit doesn't, he never, he doesn't come back to the monastery except, like, once every three, four months. But he came back the next day. And he came back the next day and he went to this priest and he said, hey, forgive me because now God's not talking to me because I told you off yesterday. And it's like, bro, like imagine you're at that stage where you're like, God is talking to you all the time. And then you tell off this younger priest and you've got to travel the next day, like four hours walking in the desert to apologize to him just so God can start talking to you again. Like it's mind blowing. Okay. Um, can we continue reading please from verse 11? Then Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number in their families. Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered, gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, for the grain which they bought and and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock, if the money is gone. So they brought in their livestock to, Je to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for their horses, the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds, and all the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year had ended, they came to meet him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herd of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of, in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our lands? Buy us and our lands for bread, and we and our lands will be will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the lands of Egypt for Pharaoh, 
for every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the lands of the priests did he not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Pharaoh said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, there is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for, for the field and for, your, and for your food, for those of your household, and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the lands of Egypt to this day, that Pharaoh should have one-fifth, except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. Okay. So <clears throat> I guess Joseph had a gift as well of being able to um, redevelop the economy of Egypt. I think we need Joseph today with what's happening. Um, so Joseph was able to essentially bring Egypt out of famine, um, deal with everything, give everyone a purpose in their life, give everyone, I guess, a job. They all worked for Pharaoh at the end of the day. He gave everyone seed and everyone planted their own seeds and then they had food and they had money and life was back to normal, okay? This was all one person doing all of this, okay? All, so I guess this is all one person serving the entire country for what? Like for what reason? It makes us think like why is all of this happening? And we see this later on, years later, when the seven Israelites turn into millions. This is why, because Joseph was able to save everyone out of this famine save all of Egypt out of this famine. He was able to feed his family and keep his brothers around, keep his family around, even though they really did him dirty. Like he's, in the first part of it, he, where is it? He fed his family first before he went and he fed everyone else, okay? So he immediately, the first people that he thinks of is his family, okay? The people that chucked him into a well and sold him, he thought of them immediately, okay? And then he went and he fed the rest of, every, the rest of Egypt he redeveloped the economy, and everyone's happy, everyone's alive, everyone's eating well. Things are back to normal, okay? Can we continue reading, please? Verse 27. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me die with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me, and he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Okay. <clears throat> so this is now the end of Jacob's life. He lived another 17 years through the famine in the land of Egypt. Um, and he's now come to his de um, deathbed and he asked Joseph, um, please put your hand under my thigh. In the Old Testament, that's like a, you know, promise me that you're going to do as I told you. And then you can see, we see later, he said, swear to me and he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Israel is Jacob. Um, I was reading on that bit about, so Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Apparently there's another translation that, is, that says something different. It says something along the lines of, um, like, Israel bowed his head on, like, the head of a scepter, like a staff. And then when we read, um, if we read Hebrews 11:21, um, St. Paul says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each, 
each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Um, what that represents to us today is, again, that Joseph represents Christ and that Jacob is representing the church. The same way Jacob is leaning his head on the, leaning his head on the, you know, the head of the, the scepter, the church is leaning on Christ. And the same way that Jacob was leaning on Joseph, the church is leaning on Christ. The church is relying on Christ. So in order for the church to remain together and to remain focused and to remain you know, on the right path, we have to rely on Christ always. We have to be leaning on Christ, like literally heads onto him, like bowing onto Christ, like putting all our weight on him, putting all our problems on him, leaving everything to him. Okay, um, can we, s someone start reading chapter 48, please. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took him with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people, and give this land to your descendants after you has an everlasting possession. And they are two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Paden, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Okay, <clears throat> so <clears throat> Jacob tells Joseph that God has just appeared to me at Luz. Um, Luz was renamed to Bethel, which was the location that, as we know, God appeared to Jacob, and it was also the location where Jacob saw the ladder with the angels climbing up and down, and it was the location where Jacob wrestled God. So the land, you know, I think Bethel, uh, what's it mean? It means the house of God, okay? So that was where he essentially saw God always. Whenever God appeared to him, he appeared to him in Luz or Bethel. Um, and it was at that point where God tells Jacob, essentially, you're going to go and you're going to pass on these blessings to Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's kids, but it's not you blessing them, it's me. And this is essentially at the very last moment of Jacob's life where God tells Jacob, this is what your purpose is. Your purpose now is to... You know, I'm going to make you fruitful and multiply you. I'm going to turn the 70 Israelites or 75 Israelites into millions. I'm going to turn just the 70 of you into the 12 tribes. Okay? So this is where Jacob's purpose has been fulfilled. After all the years of suffering, 147 years, now Jacob knows what his purpose is. And so what happens next is that um, Ephraim and Manasseh are brought to Jacob, and Jacob has... Um, Joseph brings Manasseh and Ephraim and he puts them, he takes them to Jacob in such a way so that Manasseh, the older child, is at Jacob's right hand. Because there's a tradition in the Old Testament where <clears throat> when you're passing the blessing on or when you're blessing someone, you use your right hand. And so Joseph's intentions were for the Manasseh, the older son, to receive the blessing. Okay, um, can we continue reading from verse 8, please? Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. 
Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who fed, has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, lest my name be lest my name be named upon them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So Jacob switched his hands, and he put his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh, and he blessed them. And then shortly after, you see Joseph freaking out and saying, no, 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 you put your right hand on the wrong one. And then Jacob clarifies and he says, no, I know what I'm doing. I know I put my right hand on the wrong one. And so this, I guess, was another prophecy from God because as we were saying earlier, this is God's blessing to them, not Jacob blessing them. And at the time, Joseph was confused and lost, like, man, what the heck is going on? This is deja vu. Like, Jacob took his older brother's blessing, and now Ephraim's taking Manasseh's blessing. Like, what's going on? But the whole purpose is that we see years later and in the following books is that Ephraim's, Ephraim's tribe becomes the more powerful and the more successful tribe, and Manasseh's tribe goes through some troubles, right? We see that when the north and southern kingdoms are split, there are ten kingdoms in the north side and two in the southern side. The whole 10, if you look at a map, the whole land is called Ephraim. It's all named after Ephraim. Okay, so Ephraim's tribe becomes essentially the most powerful tribe out of the 12. Um, if we take a couple steps back, the <clears throat> we know that Jacob had 12 kids, right? And then there were 12 tribes. But the 12 tribes weren't all for Jacob's kids. Reuben, the firstborn, he was meant to receive double the inheritance of the rest of the kids. But because he slept with one of Jacob's concubines, that right was taken off him. So Reuben never got a tribe. And then that leaves 11 left. And then Joseph has two kids, and they both get tribes. So then that adds up back to the 12. So there are 12 tribes. Joseph doesn't get one, but Joseph's tribe, Joseph has the other firstborn from Rachel, right? Joseph was the firstborn from Rachel, so he gets double the inheritance now. And that double the inheritance was given to Ephraim and Manasseh, so they both get a tribe each. So now there's 12 tribes total, and we know that Ephraim is the most powerful one. So I guess in that moment there and then, there's confusion, and it's like, why the younger one? This doesn't make sense. But from then until now, we see again and again and again that God has never made a, a set rule that the older son has to receive the right, that someone with a specific physical status has to receive God's blessing. And so you even see in Christ's genealogy, in Jesus' genealogy in, in Matthew, um, the list of names that no one ever reads. If you go back and check through all of them, half of them were the younger siblings. And they were counted as Christ's ancestors. So they received that birthright at the time throughout the entire Old Testament. And so that tells us what? It tells us that no matter what our physical status is, 
no matter what our, you know, what our, what our jobs are, whether we are the head servants, whether we're running the mass, whether the big deacons, we're a priest, whether the pope, whether the bishop, it doesn't matter who you are, everyone is equally worthy of God's blessing. And God doesn't discriminate depending on who you are, whether you're the older brother, the younger brother, or whether you're, you know, you're a doctor or you're an engineer, you're a lawyer or teacher, or whatever you do, God doesn't discriminate. Everyone receives the exact same blessing if they open their hearts to God or if God, if you allow God to enforce his will through you. This links back to chapter 47 when we were saying that, you know, as servants, we have to make some small sacrifices in order to see God's hand. On that same note, God does not discriminate with what your service is. It doesn't matter what your service is or what you do for a living or who you are. God doesn't discriminate. He will still show you his hand. He will still give you the blessings that you deserve if you allow him to. Okay. Um, can we keep reading? I think we're on verse 17. <clears throat> yeah. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my, bow, with my sword and my bow. So just to, <clears throat> just to re-clarify that end bit, so Jacob has told Joseph, I'm giving you double what your brothers have. And by giving him double, he's given that blessing to both Ephraim and Manasseh. So they both received the blessing then, and they both received the blessing for a different purpose. And we see later on, as Jacob said, that Ephraim's purpose was to have the greatest tribe of Israel. And glory be to God for Ephraim. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.